0: For a morning lesson from the Old Testament, we want to look for Isaiah chapter 1, first chapter of Isaiah. The vision of Isaiah, the son of Amoz, which he saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem in the days of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah. Hear, O heavens, and give ear, O earth, for the Lord hath spoken. I have nourished and brought up children, and they have rebelled against me. The ox knoweth his owner, and the ass his master's crib. But Israel doth not know. My people doth not consider. Ah, sinful nation, a people laden with iniquity, a seed of evildoers, children that are corruptors. They have forsaken the Lord. They have provoked the Holy One of Israel unto anger. They are gone away backward. Why should... "'Ye be stricken any more. "'Ye will revolt more and more. "'The whole head is sick, and the whole heart faint. "'From the sole of the foot, even into the head, "'there is no soundness in it, "'but wounds and bruises and putrefying sores. "'They have not been closed, neither bound up, "'neither mollified with ointment. "'Your country is desolate. "'Your cities are burned with fire. "'Your land, strangers, devour it in your presence.' <laughs> and it is desolate, as overthrown by strangers. And the daughter of Zion is left as a cottage in a vineyard, as a lodge in a garden of cucumbers, as a besieged city. Except the Lord of hosts had left unto us a very small remnant. We should have been as Sodom, and we should have been like unto Gomorrah. Hear the word of the Lord, ye rulers of Sodom. Give ear unto the law of our God, ye people of Gomorrah. To what purpose is the multitude of your sacrifices unto me, saith the Lord? I am full of the burnt offerings of rams and the fat of fed beasts, and I delight not in the blood of bullocks or of lambs or of he goats. When you come to appear before me, who hath required this at your hand to tread my courts? Bring no more vain oblations. Incense is an abomination unto me. The new moons and Sabbaths, the calling of assemblies, I cannot. Away with it. I cannot away with. It is iniquity, even the solemn meeting. Your new moons and your appointed feasts, my soul hateth. They are a trouble unto me. I am weary to bear them. And when ye spread forth your hands, I will hide mine eyes from you. Yea, when ye make many prayers, I will not hear. Your hands are full of blood. Wash you, make you clean. Put away the evil of your doings from before mine eyes. Cease. To do evil, learn to do well, seek judgment, relieve the oppressed, judge the fatherless, plead for the widow. Come now, let us reason together, saith the Lord. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. If ye be willing, and obedient, ye shall eat the good of the land. But if ye refuse and rebel, ye shall be devoured with the sword for the mouth of the Lord hath spoken it. How is the faithful city become an harlot? It was full of judgment, righteousness lodged in it, but now murderers. This thy silver has become dross, thy wine mixed with water. Thy princes are rebellious and companions of these thieves. Everyone loveth gifts. And followeth after rewards. They judge not the fatherless, neither doth the cause of the widow come unto them. Therefore saith the Lord, the Lord of hosts, the mighty one of Israel. Ah, I will ease me of mine adversaries, and avenge me of mine enemies. And I will turn my hand upon thee, and purely purge away thy dross, and take away all thy ten. And I will restore thy judges as at the first and thy counselors as at the beginning. Afterward thou shalt be called the city of righteousness, the faithful city. Zion shall be redeemed with judgment, and her converts with righteousness. And the destruction of the transgressors and of the sinners shall be together, and they that forsake the Lord shall be consumed. For they shall be ashamed of the oaks which which ye have desired, and ye shall be confounded for the gardens that ye have chosen." For ye shall be as an oak, whose leaf fadeth, and as a garden, that hath no water. And the strong shall be as tow, and the maker of it as a spark. And they shall both burn together, and none shall quench them.
1: Uh, the first chapter of the first epistle of John has been called for reading. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes which we have looked upon and our hands have handled of the word of life for the life was manifested and we have seen it and bear witness and shew unto you that eternal life, which was with the father and was manifested unto us that which we have seen and heard declare we unto you that ye also may have fellowship with us. And truly our fellowship is with the father and with his son, Jesus Christ. And these things write we we unto you that your joy may be full. This, then, is the message we have heard from him and declare unto you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie. And do not the truth, but if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another, one with another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, His Son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, We make him a liar, and his word is not in us.
0: Greetings to each of you this morning. In the precious name of Jesus, the one we're here to worship, the one who washes us and makes us clean. Appreciate the thoughts of the opening, just thinking of... of what is after? You know, that's really something that we should think about often, as what uh, our goal, what comes after, after this life, <coughs> and preparing our hearts for that. And that's the, the topic of the message today. We just want to encourage each of you in your walk. You know, we know, uh, somewhat, we have glimpses of what comes after there in Revelation, and in other scriptures, writers have given us an idea, but you know, we just see through a glass darkly, so we don't know everything, but we know that uh, the Lord has called us, appreciate that... uh, that scripture there in Matthew, that take no thought, that's just some good encouragement for us. You know, we we often can get discouraged or, or worried, anxious, but we are just to take no thought and to trust in Him, the one who holds us in His hands. You know, a couple days ago we were going to work and it was a, seemed like a decent day and I usually check the weather, um, since usually working outside, and i had seen there was a chance of snow, but didn't give it much thought. It was a small chance when I had looked at it. And then i seen there was a, a winter storm morning, and I kind of scoffed at that because, well, they must just be looking for an excuse, because we just didn't get that severe weather, I didn't think. And, and so... When it began to snow there in the afternoon of Friday, and it started to snow a little heavier, and before long there was a couple inches on the ground, Uh, we were a little bit surprised, I guess. And we look out now, and you look across the landscape, and it's just white. It's bright, it's clean. And as I've gotten older, I've become less of a fan of, of snow just for the difficulties that it creates. And yet, to be inside by the fire and to see the snow, it's just—it's a pleasant thing. So I, I was just inspired, I guess, as I was thinking of a message, just to try to find some positive applications, and there is, uh, from the snow. There's some good illustrations that we can get. And that's why we, we chose this chapter here in Isaiah chapter 1. You know, it starts out there pretty negative. Um, just a a judgment, sort of against uh, Israel. It's more of a description of their, their condition, and we can go back there and read that. Um, just even in, in Chronicles and Kings, and and they had gotten pretty far. And sometimes we can be easy. It's easy for us to condemn them, perhaps, and and just wonder how they could have done such a, how they could have gotten so far from the truth and but i just thought as i read this and it actually sounded worse when i read it here than when i'd read it to myself it's just pretty bad this condition that they were in and and god had gotten to a place where he didn't even want to hear their prayers because they they were so corrupt and yet i as i thought about this i thought really you know a lot of this that we read in the old testament you know of the jews there in, in egypt and and they're in the wilderness, and the law that was given to them, uh, it was it was for a purpose, and there's a lot of illustration there. And they were to be examples of us. And so, really, I think this is a description of, of you and I. Really, this is this is who we are. Um, a sinful nation, people laden with iniquity, a seed of evildoers, children that are corrupt. You know, that sounds pretty bad. And We could read, uh, even in the New Testament, that, you know, we were without hope uh, as Gentiles before Christ. And, you know, really, we don't have anything to boast about, do we? In fact, as I thought about this, I thought, you know, when we have what we have and we still sometimes deny the truth, when we falter, aren't we worse, perhaps? It just shows. Our nature, and that's really where we are. But really, what we wanted out of this this scripture here is um, starts in verse sixteen. You know, we get all up to there is just a of God just telling the, the people of Israel. You know, this is where you are. I, I've I've tried to I've nourished you and brought you up. I've given you all of these good things, and here you've turned against me. And kind of like the prodigal son he just taken it and, and devoured it and wasted it. And he was done with that. But then he's pleading with them in verse 16. Wash you, make you clean, put away the evil of your doings from before mine eyes. Cease to do evil, learn to do well, seek judgment, relieve the oppressed, judge the fatherless, plead for the widow. Come now, let us reason together, saith the Lord. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow." Though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. And, you know, just thinking of just the the whiteness of the snow. You know, snow is one thing that um, I suppose if you go out and stare at the sun, it'll do the same thing. But if you're out in the sun with unprotected eyes or out in the snow and it's just completely white, you can get what's called snow blindness. You know, it can actually be so bright, so white, so pure that it actually causes our eyes to go blind. And it's just a, it's because it's complete re- reflection of the sun, and you know there's obviously there's a, the illustrations are a little bit limited, but also you know snow is a, it has a cleansing effect too, and although in, in, in this description that the, the snow is not what's cleansing us, we know that, but we are being made as clean as snow. And snow is is a very pure thing. When it first starts to fall, sometimes they say that there is some impurities in the snow. But as snow piles up, uh, it filters the air, it cleanses the air, and there's uh, less and less impurities. And so, the deeper the snow, the cleaner it is. And so, a lot of but just we just want to think this morning just for a topic uh, is just the cleansing power of Christ and just how he he makes us clean, whiter than snow. I'm, there, in uh, I had in I could have read in uh, Psalm fifty one <coughs> has some good verses too, and we will probably draw some of these as we move on. But uh, Psalm fifty one six: Behold, thou desirest truth in the inward parts, and in the hidden part thou shalt make me to know wisdom. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter, whiter. Than snow. Not just as white as snow, but whiter than snow. Something we can't really imagine. I don't know that snow is actually white, I think it's clear. Uh, it's just a reflection of, of light that we see. And so, but the promise here is that it's, it's the the writer here, David perhaps, he's just saying, you know, if if God, if the Lord cleanses me. I will be whiter than snow. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. For a verse, just uh, kind of to highlight our, our thoughts, 2 Corinthians 7, verse 1. Having therefore these promises, dearly beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh, and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. And that last little phrase there is, is really what we we are desiring is perfecting holiness in the fear of God. And that's just a an ongoing thing, isn't it? For each of us. Whether, you know, regardless of where we're at in our walk in life, with our walk with the Lord, uh, we want to be perfecting holiness in in the fear of the Lord, of, of God. And you know here it says, uh, let us cleanse ourselves. And I want to point out that it is, and we're going to get into that later, but I want us to remember it. We'll say it more than once. It's the blood of Jesus that cleanses us. And it's His work in us, the Holy Spirit, that cleanses us. But here he says, let us cleanse ourselves. And I just thought of this illustration, you know, when you uh, wash your hands, to clean your hands, how do you, you clean your hands? Do they clean themselves? Well, we know that soap and water uh, is, is what we use to clean, isn't it? What we use to wash our hands. But soap and water by itself doesn't just clean our hands. You know, it takes us putting the soap on our hands and washing our hands. And so that, I think that's a, a, an illustration of, of Christ and the Holy Spirit, you know, cleansing us. Yes, it is Him that cleanses us. Without it, we cannot be clean. But we must apply it to our lives. It is, there is a work for us to do. And it doesn't just happen to us, and it is not without effort on our part. It is not without effort and difficulty. I've heard it said that that grace, thinking of this, of salvation more, that grace is not opposed to effort, but to earning. And so, for grace to be effective in our lives, you know, if we're trying to, to... you know, if it's of works, then grace is of no effect. But uh, if it's faith, and you know we are putting forth the effort because of that, then grace has power in our lives. And so there is there is effort uh, involved in this cleansing work, the cleansing power of Christ. I also wanted to differentiate here between uh, you know. Jesus washing away our sins, this thought of being whiter than snow, is different than forgiveness. It is going to be today for this message. You know, forgiveness is an event, I would say. You know, when Jesus died on the cross, there's different things that happened. You know, we we know of different doctrines, you know, of justification and sanctification and all of that. And forgiveness of sins. You know, and we'll get into that later some more, but if, if that's all we had, you know, if we were just forgiven of our sins, but we didn't have the cleansing power, then we would just go out and just keep sinning. But we have a promise of His Holy Spirit to cleanse us from those sins, meaning they no longer have effect on us and we can overcome. There's victory and we can walk in newness of life. I wanted to turn, well, we were in 1 John, just to to emphasize that, verse there, verse 9, 1 John 1, verse 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just. See, God is just to forgive us. He is just to do that of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So those are two separate things there, and I believe that they are different. Um, Not only the forgiveness from sin, but the power to overcome sin. They're two different things, and we're thankful for both of them. You know, we'll get into that in Hebrews. You know, it talks about there in the old law. You know, it didn't have the power to do that. I think it did have forgiveness of sin. It covered it up, but obviously God made that, that provision and yet it didn't make them, them perfect. It didn't make them clean. And, and today we have Jesus, that perfect sacrifice that is able to not only forgive us, but to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We're going to sing a hymn before we begin, I guess. We'll sing hymn number 157. It's a familiar one. I think a line each verse traditionally. 157. There is a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins and sinners plunged beneath that flood lose all their guilty stains. So this uh, thought this morning of the cleansing power of Christ, you know, the theme is, is throughout the Scripture. We can go clear back to uh, the old law And find there in in Leviticus, there was uh, standards that they had for sacrifices for the priests. And I want to draw one application as as we begin this. We're thinking of this cleansing power, and we're going to look at it in three different areas of our life. Uh, The cleansing of the heart, the cleansing of the conscience, and the cleansing of the body. And we're going to start with the cleansing of the heart, and I just think of that as desires, our desires. You know, the heart is the seat of who we are, it determines uh, much of what we do, and it's really, you know, where change happens. And so when, and we're going to get into that. But in the old law, you remember that with those sacrifices, some of them, uh, their offerings. I think it was a sin offering, even that they would they would take the part of the sacrifice. They would take it and burn it with fire, and part of it they would take and they would wash. And those were the the, the inward parts. It said, and so like the intestines or whatever it was, the heart probably they would wash it with water before they they sacrificed it. Interesting. I don't know why they did that, other than perhaps it's uh, to illustrate the need for an inward cleansing. And that's what I'm going to take out of it. That may not have been the reason. But I want to look in Matthew 23. And just to illustrate the... This emphasizes the, the importance of beginning on the inside. Now, we're going to end on the outside, and we're going to see that you can't leave one without the other. But if you try to do the uh, one without the one, without the other, it doesn't work. But if you start here, the rest I believe will follow. Matthew 23 verse 24. Now this, this whole chapter really is, is Jesus speaking to the, the Pharisees, and it's just a lot of condemnation against them and some of their, I mean he says woe unto them so many times, calls them fools and blind. And I, I'm sure that they, they really didn't like that. And, but starting in verse 24, Ye blind guides, which strain at a gnat and swallow a camel. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For ye make clean the outside of the cup and of the platter, but within they are full of extortion and excess. Thou blind Pharisee, cleanse first that which is within the cup, and platter, that the outside of them may be clean also. (coughs) Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For ye are like unto whited sepulchers, which indeed appear beautiful outward, but are within, full of dead men's bones, and of all uncleanness. Even so ye also outwardly appear righteous unto men, but within ye are full of hypocrisy and iniquity. (coughs) It's easy to um, condemn them and to think how awful that is, and, and yet are we any better sometimes? Can we not fall into the same trap as they did and just put on a good facade, and on the inside we just have lust and, and just perhaps hate and, and envy, all these things can just kind of go on in our heart? And yet on the outside, we put on a pretty good front. Are we any better than they? So cleanse first the inside, the inward cleansing. Jeremiah 17, a couple verses there, 9 and 10. This is one you know, we've heard it quoted or familiar with it. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked who can know it. It's a common phrase sometimes. It's encouraged to to follow your heart, listen to your heart. But right here, the the Word tells us that that it's deceitful above all things. And something that's deceiving, I don't think we want to be listening to that, do we? We want to be listening to, to the Lord, to Jesus, the Spirit. And so be very careful. It says that it is desperately wicked. That, I believe, in the translation there, if you would look that up, is, is it is afflicted with an incurable disease, basically. It's just there is no cure. It's without cure. Desperately wicked. Who can know it? And So Jeremiah is just saying here, he, there, here's this condition that we have. This is humanity. This is everybody that's been born since Adam. There's nobody exempt. We're all here. We all uh, struggle with this. We all have the same carnal nature. We can go to Romans. We might some just to look at that. Romans 7. The battle there. But it's desperately wicked. Who can know it? Kind of asking a question. Who can know it? It's a rhetorical question. Because nobody can. And then he goes on to say, I, the Lord, search the heart. I try the reins, and that there means, and you'll find it's an interesting uh, translation, the word reins. When you think of reins, what do you think of? I think of uh, something that controls a horse, controls power, something that is, it steers something. Well, that actually is the mind, where it's translated there. Uh, We would probably translate that more as the mind. I try the, the mind, the thoughts. So that's what steers you. That's a good uh, uh, translation there if you think of it that way. But I, the Lord, search the heart. And so, you know, do we even know our own hearts? You know, we, we call out to God just to, to try us, O oh God, and search my heart. And to see if there be any wicked way in me. And so that's, you know, we need the Lord to, to help us to discern our own, our own heart. But indeed, we we want to establish that we have need to be cleansed in our hearts. I think we all know that, don't we? If we've lived long enough, we know that our hearts are are uh, prone to wander, prone to sin, and even at the youngest of age, you know, we see it in children just as. As soon as they can uh, talk or, or think, you know they start to exhibit those characteristics, and so, you know, they're just little sinners. And praise the Lord, we have a cleansing power. We can be cleansed. James chapter four, verse eight says, draw nigh to God and he will draw nigh to you. Cleanse your hands, ye sinners, and purify your hearts, ye double-minded. Here he uh, gives a couple of of, he differentiates between the two. He says, cleanse your hands, ye sinners, and purify your hearts, ye double-minded. And I think there that uh, we see, obviously, that there's two things. There's, there's the hands that we see and the heart that we don't. But I, what I wanted out of this was a... Uh, so how do we cleanse our hearts? How do we do this? Let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit. Well, I think the first uh, thing we have there, it says, draw nigh to God, and just to, to draw nigh to Him. You know, if you have the desire to be cleansed, you know, just, um, I, I just imagine that most of us know that feeling. Uh, not just of physical dirt, just imagine, I mean, I think some of us do know that pretty uh, probably pretty well. I remember recently, uh, I was working somewhere and there was a, it was an, a creek and there was, it was in a cow lot and there was uh, a house or so that had was dumping sewage into this creek and it was a pretty nasty uh, situation there. And I was down there and it was rocky and there was some uh, concrete. It was a bridge that we were to be demoing and just walking along there and it was kind of cold and and I slipped and I fell into that creek partway and it just was all over me and you know, just just to think that I couldn't wash that off, just imagine if there was no way to be clean, just imagine if we were in this condition where we know in our hearts we need to be clean, we know who we are. And, you know, we that's called guilt. And we'll get to that later. And we have this sense that we, we want to be clean. And, you know, then I just I got in the car and drove home and, and, you know, I had to go take a shower and change. It was pretty bad. But I was glad that I could be clean. And praise the Lord, we can be too uh, in our hearts. But we want to draw nigh to God. That is the first step, is, is a heart bent towards God. Jesus said, if I be lifted up, I'll draw all men to me, and he has been, and so we want to lift him up, don't we? To draw men to him, and he has that drawing effect, and yet our hearts, you know, as they're in Isaiah, he, he, he says, you know, if you rebel, he tells what's going to happen. But he gives an offering, you know, if you obey, if you do this, this is what I'll do. And so, we want to draw nigh to him. If we want to be clean, we draw nigh to God. That's our first, we we bend our hearts toward him. And we acknowledge our need for cleansing. Draw nigh to God. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. And so, a double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. He's he's as a wind-driven, waves of the sea, You can't tell. He he goes back and forth. It's like a man trying to serve two masters. Jesus said it's not possible. He'll either hate one and love the other or cling to the one and and abandon the other. And so, a a heart bent towards God. We want to to abandon our flesh and bend our hearts toward God. A couple verses. As we do that, John 15, I want to just turn there, I think. How do we cleanse ourselves? I think this is really where it is. And remember, we're we're, uh, we're not talking about that moment of uh, confession. We'll get to that some, but that's really like I think of salvation kind of as a point in time and then we go from there and you know we're baptized we confess that we believe in Jesus and we, we deny our sins and that that is a point of cleansing and but that's a point of forgiveness and and what we're talking about today is a growth it's sanctification it's an ongoing walk with the Lord John 15. Well, I stopped at Luke. It was at 15, but the wrong book. This is kind of a favorite. I, I like John's writings. Uh, he's a very he's unique in his writings. He's very straightforward and bold, and he doesn't leave a lot of, of room for questions. 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, you read through there, I mean, there's just like, it's either this or this. And you either love me or you hate me. And he just goes back between those things. And so it's, it's pretty graphic. But John 15, I like this. I am the true vine, and my Father is the husbandman. Every branch in me that beareth not fruit, he taketh away. And every branch that beareth fruit, he purgeth it, that it may bring forth more fruit. Now, my Bible here translates that, has a note here, prunes. And we've thought of that as like cutting away things. Um... I've heard it illustrated more, and I'm, I'm going to use the illustration more of He cleanses it. He cleans it that it might bring more, forth more fruit. And I think there is, I've heard it said, and even in vineyards, that there's a thing of, of if these vines get too close to the ground, they get dirty, you know, and they, and they get diseased. And so they, they want to keep them clean so that they can bring forth fruit, more fruit. And He says, Now ye are clean. Now, this would support that thought. Now you're clean through the word which I have spoken unto you. Abide in me and I in you as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself except it abide in the vine. No more can ye except ye abide in me. So I'm going to just stop there and and just very simply this morning if we want to be cleansed it's through His word. His word cleanses us. You know, think of the power of His word. It has power of dividing asunder of, of the, the thought and intent of man. And the Word really uh, is more than just the letters on the page. And it's, it's the Spirit. And Jesus was the Word. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. And perhaps, I don't know, I've, I've heard it said that perhaps maybe Jesus didn't even have a physical form prior to his birth there. In Bethlehem, you know, he was the, the Word of God, whatever that looked like, we don't know, we can't imagine. The Spirit of God, too, that's another thing. It manifests itself, but it's just another characteristic of God, another part of Him. But the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. But now we have the Word, and, and it says that Christ, the Word, may dwell in your heart by faith. And so, this cleansing power um, is right here. It's it's in the. It's not just the written words, but it, it is the written words when they become applied into our hearts and into our minds. <clears throat> Ephesians five says this verses twenty five through twenty one seven. We're probably pretty familiar with. As Christ also loved the church, and this it's using the illustration of a. a a husband and a wife, as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it, that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word, that he might present it to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. Does that describe you this morning, holy and without blemish? We all look pretty well put together this morning sitting here. We put on our best clothes. We, we ironed our shirts, and or my wife did. And we put on our, you know, we comb our hair and, and you know, we put on our what we call the Sunday best, right? Now, these aren't Sunday clothes. These are our best clothes. But are we on the inside without blemish, without wrinkle or spot, and it says that Jesus Christ, uh, speaking of the church, you and I, that he cleanses it with the washing of water by the word. And I just want um, to think of that as just immersing yourself, baptizing yourself in the word of God. And, you know, I, I don't for whatever reason sometimes. And, and you know, you, perhaps life goes on normally, but you just don't feel as alive, and so what keeps us from immersing ourselves in the Word? I want to go to Matthew or Mark, I'm sorry, chapter 4, thinking of cleansing our hearts, our desires, our motives, uh, our spirit through the Word. It comes through the Word, it really does, you know, and I don't know, it maybe seems a little too simple, but if you really have a desire to be clean, and and all you do is just sit down and read the Bible, it's going to have an effect on you, I guarantee it, I've experienced it. Mark chapter 4 verse 14, the sower soweth the Word. And these are they by the wayside where the word is sown. But when they have heard, Satan cometh immediately and taketh away the word that was sown in their hearts. And these are they... Okay, now I'll back up. I think Jesus is actually... He, he gave this parable earlier. earlier, And now he's, he's descri- or he's interpreting the parable, I guess. And these are they likewise which are sown on stony ground. Who, when they have heard the word, immediately receive it with gladness, and have no root in themselves, and so endure but for a time afterward, when affliction or persecution ariseth for the word's sake, immediately they are offended. And these are they which are sown among thorns, such as hear the word, and the cares of this world, the deceitfulness of riches, and the lusts of other things, in entering in choke the word and it becometh unfruitful and so there we have three types of of soil the end result is the same for each of those they're unfruitful no fruit the one is just distractedness it's word (laughs) that just falls by the wayside and it's just snatched away we weren't listening Closed hearts, taketh away the word that was sown in their hearts. It says, Satan cometh immediately, taketh away the word. It's easy to be distracted. There's actually a thing called uh, being addicted to distraction. It's actually an issue in our society with technology. I think I've experienced it. You get so used to this thing that you don't hardly know what to do when you don't have anything to do. You're just so addicted to being distracted by something that when you have a moment, you you just don't know how to handle it. So are we distracted this morning? There's a real blessing in being able to focus our hearts and our thoughts to listen, to hear what the Spirit has to say. These are they likewise which are sown on stony ground who when they have heard the word immediately receive it with gladness. So this is a person who perhaps is a is an emotional person. They're quick uh, to accept something but as soon as uh, some difficulty came up and you know being a Christian meant that well now I can't do this or oh you don't like me because well then I'll just quit being a Christian. And that's that's the the stony ground. It's just not much depth there. They're they jump from one thing to the next, and don't plow deep enough for the roots to bear fruit. There, it says that they are immediately they are offended. Uh, just a, someone that's just shallow, maybe thin-skinned, and uh, isn't willing to accept uh, hardship for the gospel's sake. We want to be able to endure. There's a lot about that, about enduring hardness as a soldier of Jesus Christ. And it's actually something that uh, we're called to do. And, in fact, something that the Bible says, that they that live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. So if we're not suffering persecution in some form or another, um, hopefully we're still living godly. And I think this this last one here, they which are sown among thorns, I think we all can relate to that, can't we? Such as hear the word and the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches and the lust of other things enter in and choke the word. The word's still there, but these other things just kind of come up with it and just like, well, you just don't have time. Uh, Well, you want to go do this instead. And the word just becomes unfruitful. So we want to be cleansed, don't we? We want to be that that good soil, that clean soil that's removed the rocks and the weeds and to receive it into a pure heart, a clean heart, and to bring forth fruit 30, 60, and 100 fold. And, And how do we do that? I'm going to suggest it's through the washing of water by the word immersing yourself in the Word of God. I remember one time uh, I decided I wanted to read through the Bible in 90 days and I don't think I've ever read uh, that much scripture consecutively and this, it was just like a, a really you know, you don't get much out of it I, don't, I mean, I, you do get some but you're just really reading through the scripture well, I remember that that was a really good time in my life Uh, spiritually and and it just proves to me that and you know and, and so i know that and yet why do do i still uh slack off and and forget or get choked it's because it's real we live in this life and and some of those circumstances around us whatever it is the temptations or trials um we don't always have control of them but we uh we do have an answer for them, and so it's it's a challenge. That's right. That's why we're here. We want to encourage one another, and in this walk, in this battle, immerse ourselves in the world, in the Word. Just a, just a a good scripture to um, thinking of. A list, perhaps, or just a, a good check to check against our thoughts is Philippians 4.8. I think we're all familiar with that. Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue and if there be any praise, think on these th- things. Just a good uh, list there to, to cleanse our, our hearts. And I don't know of anything that that list wouldn't cover. And so, once again, just back to thinking, and if we can cleanse our hearts, you know, Jesus said, first cleanse the inside, then the outside. You just think, if we focus on that, it's kind of like uh, what, what is it when we read Matthew 18? the three steps, we always ask the three for one, but in, in the other, if it's yourself, you know, well, if you forgive on the first one, then we don't have to do the other two. I don't know if that's the case with this. We want to be reminded of, of the other aspects of life, but really, if we focus on a clean heart, a pure heart, the rest is going to just kind of pour out of that. We want to look at what that looks like. Uh, the cleansing power of Christ to, to cleanse the conscience. And so, first, we thought about the cleansing of the heart, the inward cleansing of the conscience, I would say, it would be more of like the, the mind. Cleansing of the mind. Turn to Hebrews chapter 9. For many people, accepting Christ's forgiveness can be a uh, difficult thing. Perhaps it's because they realize their, their faults and, well, how could God ever forgive me? And for other people, the, the other challenge is they, it's because they can't forgive themselves. And that they can't imagine that someone else could forgive them. And so this thought of, you know, cleansing the heart, you know, and then cleansing the the conscience or the mind is is what we're wanting to look at is is Christ and his ability and and just the need for us to accept it, um, that that he can cleanse us and to, to believe in that. We have been forgiven. Hebrews 9. I have 9.14. I'm not sure if I wanted to start before that. I think I'll start in 13. Hebrews 9.13. For if the blood of bulls and of goats and the ashes of an heifer, sprinkling the unclean, sanctifieth to the purifying of the flesh. Okay, so now here he's just saying, back to that old law and the sacrifice, he said it actually did that. He's like, if it did, we accept that it did. It actually, you know, by doing that, it it sanctified to the purifying of the flesh. 14, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? You know, one thing that, happens when we can't forgive ourselves, this conscience thing, this guilt that we carry, is we become uh, unable to serve the living God. And so we become ineffective. Uh, we get crippled by it. But here he says that uh, it's kind of a rhetorical question. It's how much more? It's like way more, Obviously. If a goat did this much, then what about the Son of God through His eternal Spirit? How, how much more is He able to cleanse your conscience from dead works? And we could back up more, and, and I don't know that we will, just to establish more about um, uh, Jesus and His sacrifice. It said verse 11 and 12 there, but I think we'll move on to... Um, Just thinking about this cleansing of the conscience. I think we'll start in chapter 10 maybe, move over to there. Really both of these chapters, you could read them. Hebrews 10, for the law having a shadow of good things to come, and not the very image of the things, can never with those sacrifices which they offered year by year continually make the comers there unto perfect. For then, if it, if it would have, he says, then would they not have ceased to be offered? Because that the worshipers once purged should have had no more conscience of sin. It should have cleansed their conscience, but it did not. And so they had to do it every year. But in those sacrifices, there is a remembrance again made of sins every year. For it is not possible that the blood of bulls and of goats should take away sins. Couldn't take them away. It, it covered them, and and I don't know what all it did. it did. There's a lot there that I don't understand. Obviously, we know that it, it wasn't enough, though, was it? It didn't take away sins. Wherefore, then, when he cometh into the world, he saith, Sacrifice and offering thou wouldest not, but a body hast thou prepared me. In burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin thou hast had no pleasure... Then said I, lo, I come. In the volume of the book, it is written of me to do thy will, O God. Above when he said, sacrifice and offering, and burnt offerings and offering for sin, thou wouldest not. Neither hadst pleasure therein. Go back to Isaiah 1. Remember, he said he didn't have any pleasure in those anymore. They they weren't, you know, just to do the sacrifice wasn't enough. That's what they were doing. They thought they could just do that and then go live as they wanted. It wasn't enough. He was, he was, He abhorred it because it wasn't really having an effect on their heart. It wasn't cleansing their conscience. Neither has flesh which are offered by the law. Then said he, Lo, I come to do thy will, O God. He taketh away the first that he may establish the second. By the which will we are sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. And every priest standeth daily, ministering and offering oftentimes the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But this man, Jesus, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down on the right hand of God, from henceforth, expecting till his enemies be made his footstool. For by one offering he hath perfected forever them that are sanctified." perfected forever, them that are sanctified. Whereof the Holy Ghost also is a witness to us, for after that he had said before, this is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, saith the Lord, I will put my laws into their hearts and in their minds will I write them. And their sin. okay, so that's the desire in their hearts to do good, that's the desire to do it, and in their minds is the knowledge of how to. And so that's, that's what that's saying there. And their sins and iniquities will I remember no more. Now, where remission of these is, there is no more offering for sin. Doesn't need to be any more offering. Jesus doesn't have to give any more. Having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, which he hath consecrated for us through the veil, that is to say, his flesh. And having an high priest over the house of God, let us draw near. This is a verse with a true heart, sincere heart, in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. He covers all of them there. Heart, mind, body. Now, I want to point out here that it says, in full assurance of faith. This thing of of guilt and believing that we are forgiven, this cleansing power... To, to receive it, it is received by faith. It's by faith, through faith in His blood, in His sacrifice. You know, believing that His, his sacrifice is enough and, and uh, we can't do enough justice to, to go back and to consider the sacrifice that was made. But just go there sometime, John 19 or, or Mark. Uh, you know, go in there and, and read the account of, of Jesus suffering, His sacrifice, and you know, the perfect for the sinner, the righteous for the unrighteous, the exchange that was there, if that doesn't uh, you know, it, it is worse for us to think that we're not worth being saved, you know, that actually is telling Jesus that his his sacrifice wasn't enough. To think that, well, I'm not good enough. That's actually uh, reflecting on him. And so just, just think about that. And and perhaps, maybe that's not a good thing to say. Maybe that makes it worse. But but know that his sacrifice was for you, and to have faith in it that it was enough. To have a full assurance of faith, and you know he says here to have boldness to enter into the holiness by the blood of Jesus. Now this is not a, a, a cocky attitude. This isn't coming in there, you know, you know, talking with the Lord, like, you know, hey, what's up? We're uh, we're still to be reverent. We fear the Lord, and, and we're to fear Him. Nothing's really changed. You know, back there when God was on the mountain and it was on fire, He's still the same God today. And He's still just as righteous as He was then, and still just as holy. And, you know, just because we live... In the age that we do, you know, those laws that he gave are still, those were good laws. God gave them. They had to be. Now, just because we have Jesus to uh, be our mediator and to be our sacrifice, we still must live, uh, you know, it said to be holy. Be holy even as I am. Be perfect as I, your Father is perfect. And so... <clears throat> This doesn't in any way excuse us from living a righteous life. It doesn't give us boldness as if we are some uh, equal with God. But it does give us boldness in that we don't have to um, doubt whether or not we can come there through the blood of Jesus. There is no doubt in the blood of Jesus. We, we cannot have that. You know, un- unbelieving, you know, doubting is actually kind of a sin. And I don't know, I was, wasn't going to get into that, but just remember that. So, so having this faith and being assured by it, that's something that we really want to to, uh, to look at in our own hearts, you know, just to assure ourselves by that. And if we need some assurance in that, you know, read scriptures that relate to his sacrifice and to Christ, uh, his worthiness. <clears throat> Full assurance of faith, knowing we have been forgiven. And so, a clean conscience, what does that look like? You know, the conscience is an interesting thing because even those that uh, aren't or haven't been, you know, societies and cultures completely isolated still have some moral standard. And we could read that in Romans about those that without the law by nature did the things that in the law. You know, obeying their conscience, it was like a law to them, showing the law written on their hearts. So, you know, the argument that man is inherently good, well, to some extent, uh, we have a conscience. We have a spirit that knows, but our, uh, our carnal spirit is not inherently good. And so a conscience, although a conscience seems to be, regardless of where you were raised, To have a sense of right and wrong very early, a child can can know that, but depending on their environment and their training, that conscience can change, and so a conscience can be trained, a conscience can, you know, we, we read about a corrupt conscience, you know, a defiled conscience, a weak conscience, there's different kinds of consciences, and, you know, just sense of right and wrong is what that is, not consciousness. You know, some of us get sleepy. That's a different level of consciousness. But conscience is a discernment of right and wrong. And it can be trained. It can be corrupted. But we want a cleansed conscience, a clean conscience. There's no pillow as soft as a clear conscience. And the man who sleeps, you think of, uh, I think, the, the story of the, the boy that On the ranch, he said, I can sleep on windy nights. And I don't remember if I remember the account, how it went, but a rancher was looking for some hired hand, and he went, and there were some boys, and he was asking about their credentials, and the one boy just, that was his only answer, I can sleep on windy nights. He didn't know what that meant. What do you mean? Well, he finally hired him, and he came to work for him, and everything seemed to be going good. He he did things he was told to do, and then one night a storm came, and the wind was blowing, it was thundering and crashing, it was just a pretty vicious storm. And he went, the rancher went to wake up the boy and he was just sleeping away. He's hollering at him, come on, come help me get the... Finally he gave up on him, he went out there and he said, well he's just worthless, he won't even wake up. Went out there and found that the, the gates were locked, the doors were shut tight, and all the animals were safe. He went out there and well, there was nothing to do. Well, because the boy had done what he was supposed to do and he'd done it well, his comment was he could sleep on windy nights. And so he didn't worry when the trials came. And that's what we want to be, isn't it? Like having our our vessels filled with oil so we can sleep on windy nights. We're ready when the bridegroom comes. A clear conscience. Paul says this in Acts 24... Herein do I exercise myself to have always a conscience void of offense toward God and toward men. That was just something that, that Paul saying. This is something that is important to me and I'm, I'm, I'm conscious of this. And I'm mindful of it. I exercise myself to always have a conscience void of offense. Doesn't mean he didn't maybe slip up once in a while, but he would go and correct it as soon as he could. It is a picture of integrity, a man who who has a clear conscience. The challenge for us is not always knowing what to do, but in doing what we know. We can often get hung up on, you know, what should I do? Is this the right thing? Is this not? You know, uh, is this the will of the Lord or isn't? And, you know, you you can agonize over something that maybe is all moral and and you don't really know if there's a right. You could do it, maybe. And... Uh, I heard it quoted this uh, said this way, a friend of mine describing himself sometimes that he just experiences paralysis by analysis and and we get there sometimes. and maybe that's an oversensitive conscience. I don't know. but I think that if we are truly seeking the Lord and his will and there's nothing that tells us we shouldn't do something, then maybe the Lord's saying go ahead. And maybe it doesn't have to be some, uh, extravagant answer, bolt of lightning, to tell us. But just knowing what to do uh, and doing it. James four seventeen. This this just uh, is sobering. It says therefore to him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not, to him it is sin. And so that's that's pretty uh, serious. We live in in an environment and a a culture here among ourselves. We have the word of God. We've had godly teaching. I mean, what don't we know to do? What good thing do we not know to do? And are we doing it? So let's be like Paul and live uh, always with a conscience void of offense towards God and man. You know, it doesn't mean that, that Paul didn't offend some people, some men, but that wasn't necessarily his intent. And his first uh, endeavor was to be void of offense toward God. You know, it was towards God first. And if that offended somebody, you, know, you can't compromise your faith just to please men. Don't ever do that. Don't let other, um, others' condemnation of your godliness, cause you to feel guilt for doing what's right, for honoring God. The cleansing of the body, and this really is just um, kind of what we've been talking about, but it's just the, the outward manifestation of, of an inward cleansing. This is just the, the, the body is just what we see. It's a manifestation of a, of a, a clean heart and a clean conscience. There are scriptures, you know, that uh, James 4, we, we already read that one, drawing nigh to God, cleanse your hands, ye sinners. And we can go back there to Isaiah 1, and he talks about, he has a list of things to do there. You know, I think this is, this is where the, the actual practicality of this, this clean heart and conscience manifests is in what we are doing Put away the evil of your doings from before mine eyes. Cease to do evil. It's speaking of repentance. Speaking of a transformed life. Learn to do well. Learn to do well. It's not something that comes automatic. It's like going to school. Learn to do well. Seek judgment. Seek it out. You know, judgment once again. And that just means like uh, doing what's right. Judgment. Uh, relieve the oppressed, judge the fatherless, plead for the widow. And there's just a small list, you know, there's more we could go to. Um, Cleanse your hands. Romans, I think, says in 12, you know, present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable, which is your reasonable service. And so, you know, it's not just about the heart, is it? You know, We can hear that, you know, my heart's right, or you you can't see my heart. Well, no, I can't see your heart, but maybe I can see what you're doing. And unfortunately, that actually is an indication of the heart. Or fortunately, maybe. And so, yes, the outward does matter. Because perhaps we've deceived ourselves in thinking our heart has deceived us in telling us that we're good enough. Thinking too, uh, the illust- or the, the example that Jesus gave there of, of feet washing. You know, He told us we do that, we appreciate it, and there's obviously a a uh, application there spiritually. You know, of service, of loving one another. There's an application of cleansing too. And Jesus told Peter there in John 13, if you remember, Jesus answered him, If I wash thee not, thou hast no part with me. If I wa- And so what I want to get out of that is that Jesus needs to wash us for us to be clean. Um, that, that, you know, maybe Jesus can't come and wash my feet physically right now, but it is through faith in him, like we've been reading about, and through his blood that He cleanses us and purifies us. It must be Him. It's not some other person. It's not a, a minister, some inspirational speaker that's going to cleanse me. It's Jesus. It's Jesus only. And, you know, that's a, another illustration of that. The manifestation is just a, a Baptism. You know that's a, that's a place where we we are we're washed in a moment uh, we're completely clean we've confessed we we come before him we we've, we've been forgiven there's a, a point of forgiveness and cleansing right then and there now as we go from there we know that that has to continue it's not just there once and done but that's what we're talking about is the continuation from that point of cleansing. But that—that's what baptism is. It's an immersion. It's—it's an—it's a picture of being cleansed and uh, cleaning, cleansing the body. You know the, the priests, that the priests—that was another thing. You know that big. You read about Solomon's temple. The—they the, called it a bath. It Sat on those those bulls. It was all out of brass. Um, if you read about that, how thick it was. It was I think a. I thought it was a span. The the brim was like nine inches wide, and I forget how many. You know, it would have been tons and tons of brass. Just I don't even know how they made it. Today, I don't even know how, how they would do it. But it was so heavy and so, so large um, to, to make brass into something that big. Pretty impressive. But that was for the priests to bathe in. It was actually like uh, a swimming pool. and Because that was something they did often. They, they washed their bodies. It was important as when they came before God, that's what they were doing... Uh, That was what they were representing. That's that's like an example to us. Uh, They were washing their bodies. And it was important, you know, God told the Israelites before they came there, when they first came out of Egypt, they were there at the mountain, you know, when Moses was receiving the tablets. And the people, God told them, okay, I'm going to come and talk to the people. And they were all come to the mountain. And he said, "They gave them three days. And they were to wash themselves, to sanctify themselves. They all had to be clean. And once again, that's just a good reminder that to come before, who shall ascend the hill of the Lord but he who has clean hands and a pure heart? How are we going to get to heaven if we're not clean? Think of the parable of the, the, uh, the wedding feast and the, nobody would come, so finally they invited the beggars and the, everybody by the uh, highways and byways, and, and finally there was this one man over there. Well, he didn't have a wedding garment on. He'd been invited, but he hadn't cleansed himself. He hadn't accepted the gift that was given. And so we don't want to be in that place. And so what, uh, what does it mean to, to have our bodies cleansed? And I don't think it just means being well-shaven and bathed every, uh, twice a day or whatever. It's really speaking of our lifestyle. And, and what, we, what we see is by doing the will of God. James 1.27 says, Pure religion and undefiled before God, that's pure, undefiled before God and the Father is this, to visit the fatherless and widows in their affliction and to keep himself unspotted from the world. Now that's a pretty broad statement, isn't it? And kind of hard to uh, pin that one down. What does it mean to be unspotted from the world? And I'm not going to go into all that right now. But that's what Jesus wants for Himself. Remember, He's to cleanse His, He's washing the His bride through the washing of water by the Word that He may present it to Himself you know, without blemish, without spot, unspotted from the world. That's someone who's been cleansed, who is walking uh, in newness of life. A couple of things, just as we close here. Uh, a couple of verses in Revelation 19, 7 and 8. Let us be glad and rejoice and give honor to him, for the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his wife, notice that it, it, it references the church as his wife at this point, hath made herself ready. Have we made ourselves ready? And to her was granted that she should be arrayed in fine linen, clean and white for the fine linen is the righteousness of the saints. Now we sometimes shy away from words like that uh, because we want to, we are afraid of self-righteousness, but that just means those that have lived righteously, those that have lived as the Lord has called them to, and that is what is going to clothe the church in the presence of God, is that, that righteousness. And it's going to be clean and white. Him we're familiar with, I'll just read it. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. For my pardon, this I see, nothing but the blood of Jesus. For my cleansing, this my plea, nothing but the blood of Jesus. Nothing can for sin atone, nothing but the blood of Jesus. Not of good that I have done, nothing but the blood of Jesus. This is all my hope and peace, nothing but the blood of Jesus. This is all my righteousness, nothing but the blood of Jesus. O precious is the flow that makes me white as snow, no other fount I know, nothing but the blood of Jesus.